What's up, people? My name is Indy, and that gentleman right there sitting next to me, that's Mr. Jay Powell from Powell Group Consulting, and welcome to Indie Game Business. Today we have Brendan from Master Talk, and we are going to be talking about public speaking, which is super important, whether you're a streamer, you're a game dev, whether you're, you know, you're, you're doing a talk live. I mean, there's so many applications to this. It's amazing. I find it super interesting, so I know you will, too, because... Who doesn't like to talk? Exactly. And so, you know, we wanted to have Brendan on here. We met through a a, a matchmaking. Is it actually called matchmaker.com? Yeah. yeah. And for the record, for people watching, it is not a dating service. I know. That's exactly what it sounds like. I'm like, <laughs> that. this doesn't sound like a podcast matchup thing. But anyway, uh, we met there. And given the work that we do with the digital conferences and, and speaking on streams and things like that, I thought it would be a fantastic different type of guest to type of talk than we normally have on this show to have Brendan come on and, you know, basically teach us a bit about how to bump up your, bump up your game when you're doing streams or a lot of the video meetings that we have now, especially presentations to publishers, that sort of thing. So welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about, you know, your, who you are and how the Master Talk YouTube channel came around. Yeah, absolutely, Jay. Thanks for having me. So yeah, for, I guess for the gamers in the crowd, so before before I started Master Talk, I used to be a professional League of Legends player, so I'm definitely a big fan of the, the gaming community and what you all do. And basically what I do at Master Talk is it's a YouTube channel where I share a lot of communication, public speaking tips with the world. I realized that a lot of the information out there is pretty bad, frankly, so I wanted to make a difference with it. So I started making videos in my mother's basement. One thing led to another, and here we are today. The production's a bit better than it used to be, and, uh, yeah, and I also coach people on the side. So how long have you been doing it now? So I've been coaching people for probably four or five years now, but I started Master Talk specifically 18 months ago. Very, very cool. So where did this all come from? So at what point did you just say, hey, look, the world actually needs this. Let me go and get it started. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, so for me, I think the one overarching theme has always been this passion for competition. So when I was in college, I was you know, on an esports team, used to do a lot of league. And then after when I went to, on to university, and I sort of quit gaming and I wanted to focus more on business school and my career. I did these things called case competitions. So case competitions is like being on a professional sports team, but for nerds. So while other guys my age were, you know, playing college football, or I guess these days it's Fortnite, you know, college football or any of those types of sports, you can tell that I'm not really equipped for that kind of stuff. So instead of doing that, I was still eating the same junk food as everyone else, but I was watching other schools present. And I did that competitively for three years. So I presented like 500 times, coached dozens of people on public speaking. And then I got a great job, you know, in technology after I graduated from university. But after I started doing well in the corporate world, I kind of just asked myself, what do I do after this? Like, what's my next move? What, should, what can I do to help people out? And Mastruck sort of just fell on my lap because a lot of the students that I was coaching at university just kept asking me the same question that I didn't have an answer to which is how did you learn how to speak? And I just went, I don't know, man. I just uh, practiced a lot, did a lot of presentations. I figured it out. So I just started making videos and I never had any intention of like coaching people or making this a business. And then over time, people just started watching the videos more and they just said, hey, keep making them. 
So here we are today. <laughs> That's pretty much it. So is this your, your sole means of income? Is, have you left the corporate world and this is what you do professionally now? Not yet, though, you know, the income has pretty much replaced what I do at work. I just haven't quit yet. But uh, my full-time gig is I'm a consultant at IBM. So I work in technology there. And then outside of that, I, I coach people on public speaking. That's awesome. I think one of the big ironies there is we have someone that's coming out of League of Legends who does know how to speak properly and, and is not toxic. So there's, <laughs> there, there's that aspect of it. Oh, so when you're coaching folks and when you're looking at different people speaking online, you know, what's the biggest challenge that you see coming through both as individuals and, you know, just people getting out there? Absolutely. So, so the biggest difference Jay, between online presentation, this includes Twitch streams or really anything that's not in person versus actually talking to someone in the same room is that let's say I'm giving a workshop to everyone in this crowd in person, and I say a joke. Two things are going to happen. You're either going to laugh at the joke and say, oh, you know, that was really funny. Or two, it's more likely to happen. You're going to say, this dude is not funny. Like, I am not going to say a joke ever again. But either way, I get the feedback in real time, and I can adjust my presentation for next time. But in an online world, you have to say the same joke with the same level of enthusiasm, the same energy and assume it's funny. And that difference is very subtle, yet very important. So if you think about this conversation that we're having right now, Jay, I'm not actually looking at you. I don't know how you're reacting to me because I have to keep looking at the camera lens, not looking at you where you're right here. Because if I do that, I don't appear as if I'm looking at you directly. So even if there's just one person on a Zoom call or a stream yard or an online meeting, you actually don't know how they're reacting to what you're saying. So you need to always assume that what you're saying is really good. And that also applies to Twitch streams because when you start streaming in Twitch or really anything, you're talking to nobody. So you have to always assume that you're talking to someone. You have to always keep bringing up the passion. That's absolutely. And I'm bad at it too because I'm so used to being in meetings. It's like, I never look at the camera. I'm always looking at the screen because that's what I'm used to doing when I'm talking to folks. It's like, I'm looking at you. So we're doing a meeting. I am absolutely horrible at, you know, looking up at the camera and actually you know, engaging on, the, on that aspect of it. So are there different skill sets that you've seen or are there different things to keep in mind between doing something like when you're doing a live stream and you have this big audience out there who, like you said, may or may not be paying attention to what you're doing. Or if you're in say a one-on-one -on -one video call or presentation or meeting, is there, what's the, what's the difference in there from the speaker standpoint? Yeah, for sure. So there's a couple of things. So I would say that there's two strategies that really apply for any type of presentation, especially in the online world. One is creating a very difficult Zoom call for yourself. So what I do when I practice is I get four to five people that I hate, put them all on a Zoom call and have them critique me, make fun of the way that I dress, make fun of my hair, make fun of my background, my audio, so that when it's time for me to actually give the keynote I'm supposed to give to a company or a client, I'm a lot better prepared. But the second part of that is always assume good intention from the audience. So whether you're in a stream with like 50 people watching on a Twitch stream or whether it's something like 
for example, I'm speaking to you two directly. In either situation, I always want to assume good intentions. What does that mean? When I was on a podcast the first time, I'm just sitting there like, why is a stranger asking me questions about my life? Right? But over time, as you get better, you start to realize that, hey, Jay and Indy are just trying to get some information, try and add value to their audience. They're probably good people, even if I don't know them. And with that intention, I always speak to people as if I've known them for many years. And that takes a long time to get right. But over time, the mindset, how you perceive your audience will change over time. Yeah, sorry. Headless the headless the dog in before she got absolutely nuts out there. No, uh, oh, I was totally muted. I feel I feel that as well. I feel like uh, it's good to. Uh, I was just introducing your chair, Jay. So uh, I, I feel like if you talk to people like they're your friends, you know, um, people have some really structured interviews. But I really feel like if you just talk to somebody like you're hanging out with them and you've known them for a while, it comes across way more authentic. And it is actually authentic because you're just talking instead of uh, of doing an interview. I totally agree. Like a good analogy I can give you to and the audience listening is public speaking is a lot more of a coffee conversation than a presentation. So if you think about lunches with your favorite person, like somebody that you just like talking to. You don't want the conversation to end. You're not going to go there and go, let me just tell you everything I need to tell you and then leave, right? No, mm -hmm. you're going to take your time. You're going to enjoy the moment. But since we perceive presentations in a bad way, the only goal that we have in presentations, is how do I get in this thing? How do I get out of it as quickly as possible? And that's why as speakers, we tend to speak a lot faster when we're presenting because our perception of presentations is really bad. We don't like to give them. But if we start to perceive them in the same way we do with the coffee conversation with an old friend, a dinner with our loved ones, a lunch with somebody that we enjoy speaking to, then our pace will slow down and we'll start to enjoy the moment and the audience will feel that difference. And it's really about the pauses too. Instead Absolutely. of just taking a big breath and saying everything you possibly can until you run out of breath and then you talk and then talk and talk and then, and then you go, <gasps> and then you start off with, um, and then you can do the same thing again. Completely agree. Yeah. This is fantastic because I didn't do the competitions in college, but I did, you know, when I started in middle school, I started doing speaking competitions up through high school and I was in the debate society at you know my university, but I didn't do these, these competitions like you're talking about. And I've always been comfortable, you know, doing public speaking, you know, at conferences or, you know, now online, but it's, it's one of those things that it just further reinforces the fact that you can never stop learning because sitting down and, and listening to you right now, I'm like, Oh yes, I do that. That's exactly what happens when I'm doing something. We had a, one of our webinars this week and it's, it's it, our webinar on trying or how you find a publisher. It, it's a lot to shove into an hour. And I realized with like, five minutes left in the hour, I had another meeting coming up. And so the last five minutes was probably like 10 minutes of content that I had to shove in there really quick. How, you know, a lot of the folks that are listening are indie devs and they absolutely aren't used to public speaking. And one of the most stressful things that they do is go through and, and give presentations to publishers. 
you know, what are some of the the tips and tricks when you're you are trying to present something, you know, be it a PowerPoint or a video, you're trying to show your game off, you know, how can you improve on that process through some practice with your, with, with your friends? Absolutely. So, so let me give you some gaming specific advice. What makes games different, I encourage everyone, and I'm sure everyone already does that, to watch E3, to watch different speakers present their video games, but also to pay a closer attention to not the game, but how it's being presented. Because the difference maker for any game, in my opinion, is not just the features, but it's the world, it's the characters, it's the plot. And the idea that we need to think about it as, as professional gamers, as indie developers, and as people who need to sell our video game so we can take it to the masses, is how do we sell the storyline, the idea, the world, to get people interested in buying the game or partnering with us? So the way that I think of it is a super simple framework. Okay. The first part of the framework is to figure out how to start right and how to finish perfectly. So a good analogy I like to use is a jigsaw puzzle. So you know those thousand piece puzzles that we have and let's say our tabletop, we're all working on the puzzle together. So if I ask the both of you, let's say it's any puzzle, which pieces would you start working on first? The outside. The outside, exactly, the corner pieces. But we don't do that in public speaking. In public speaking, what we do is we start with the middle pieces. We shove a bunch of content in, and then we get to the end, like you just mentioned, and then you got five minutes to go, and you just go, uh, yeah, so this is my last slide, and thanks for having me, and uh, peace out. Right? Whereas we need to start treating our public speaking presentations like a puzzle. Start with the beginning, present it 50 times. Start with the ending, present it 50 times. And when you get the corners right, then tackle the middle. So it'll be a lot more easier to frame your game in the best possible way within the short time that you have with the investor, with the partner, with the publisher. And then in that middle, you can strategize with your team. What are the number, what are the best features that we can really talk about to get people excited? So an easy example, I can give a Skyrim. The selling point of Skyrim isn't really the features of the game because it's an RPG game like most RPG games. What you're selling is the world, how beautiful it is, right? how beautiful the, the landscape that you're entering. Whereas, let's say with Fortnite, it might be popularity. It might be um, you know, like playing with your friends. It might be community. And all of those things have different value systems. and All those games have different benefits. So you need to really find those two, three things that really make your game stand out. Make sure those two, three things are punched out in the presentation. So at one point, we had... One of the folks on our, our Discord was talking about how stressed out they got at conferences and how they were you know, back in the days when we went to conferences, <laughs> they were concerned because their laptop had just died the day before it. And, you know, what I said was go to the conference and do all your meetings, but never show your game. You know, talk to the person, get to know them. Like you said, have that, you know, coffee talk type conversation and tell me how it works out and, and it went well and it's one of the things that you know i like that framework that you put that in because when you're at these big events you're you've got so much stuff thrown at you at one time that a lot of times you don't remember who these meetings were and this is even more so 
with the digital events now, there's like two or three every single week. And it's like, you know, even I'm participating in like one every two weeks. When you're in that cog, a cog in that wheel and you're doing just publisher pitch after publisher pitch or investor pitch, and you know that they're hearing all a bunch of pitches on their side too. How can you make your stand out and make them at the end of the day, at the end of the week, after they've had 60 some meetings, remember you and your game versus the other 50. Right. So this is more of a personal opinion that I'd love your feedback on, Jay. But the way that I see it is usually technical people aren't very good presenters. So in that realm, just the fact that you're listening to the stream gives you an unfair advantage relative to everyone else in your industry. Because there's a very big difference between the developer who creates the game, at least in mainstream gaming, maybe not indies, since the budgets are lower. But in mainstream, there's a big difference between the person who actually develops the game and the person who presents the game at E3 or any other gaming conference to promote it. So my advice is to realize the advantage you have. There's very small incremental things you can do to make your presentation that much better. So I'll give you an example. When I go to a lot of hackathons to kind of rate a lot of different projects, the presentations usually aren't very good, even if the code and the product is very good. So let's say the developer just goes, oh, yeah, this is what we do, and uh, this is what the, the thing does, and uh, yeah. So they don't really sound enthusiastic. They don't really practice that much. But if you really focus on you know that presentation, that one thing that you're working on, you keep presenting it over and over again, and more importantly, you get a lot of feedback from people around you, you'll be 10 times better just by doing that. So I'll give you a super easy example to think about this. One thing I do is I record my keynotes and I send it to 25 different people. But I don't just ask them for feedback. I ask for timestamp feedback. So their feedback is a lot more rough. They would look at me and go, uh, Brendan, go to 6 minute 53. Why aren't you smiling if you're talking about something that's exciting? Or 8 minute 72, or not 8 minute 72, 8 minute 52. <laughs> Yeah, I'm lost, kind of, as you can tell. And they would say something like, Brendan, why do you look happy if you're talking about an accident that happened in your life? But since 25 different people are doing that, you have a bunch of timestamps with all the mistakes that you made in that presentation. But guess what? The second version of that same presentation will be light years ahead of your competition. That's, I love that idea. It's a matter of getting folks to sit down and, and, listen to it and do it, you know, because it is one of the, everybody is so, everybody is so busy these days that you almost feel guilty asking them to do that. But I mean, you're right. You need that sort of feedback. And when you have it repeatedly pointing at one particular part of the talk or, or one section of what you said, it does, you know, reinforce it. And you're not wrong a lot. And I'm not going to say all of the, the pitches that we see, are rough, but you can tell some of them are, you know, and like, so I'll take the second to plug our next pitch you game event is happening next week. It's just hashtag pitch. Yeah. Why game all the developers out there, you know, pitch your game in a tweet. And this is, you know, a, a good example of that. You know, a lot of times we have, lead engineers that are doing it or lead artists, people who aren't from the quote unquote marketing and PR world. Cause at indie devs, everybody wears all these different hats and they aren't as used to it. And we see the very same thing in a lot of pitches. It's like, okay, so 
you were focusing on something in your video even, or you know, in the elevator pitch that you use that isn't necessarily what you need to be focused on. So if folks are going to, and they should be practicing these things, especially if you're going to event, we got what Gamescom next week and DevCom's going on now. And I'm sure if we look, there's plenty others in the pipeline, but what should they start practicing, let's say tomorrow? so they can get better you know in a week in a month in two months yeah so so definitely the repeatable presentation is one of those skills you know just work on one and get feedback all the time keep repeating it over and over again so you start asking yourself different questions but one easy exercise that we could do right now is what i call the random word exercise so jay why don't you just give me a random word squid okay so what i need to do with squid is i need to make a presentation out of thin air so here i go I'm walking on the beach barefoot in the morning and I could smell the air, the fresh air that comes from that morning walk. And all of a sudden, I see something moving in the lake next to me. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, it's probably, you know, like a fish or, you know, a big fish. But then it's got a bunch of tentacles and the tentacles are swarming and they're, they're moving. And I realized very quickly that it's a squid, a big squid out of nowhere. So you could imagine my morning walk was a lot more different than what I thought of. Squids are fascinating creatures, you know, even if you don't find them that much at a beach because the tentacles and the way that they move is way different than every other thing in the in the ocean and that's why in this week's presentation i'm going to talk about squids the history of squids and a couple of great dishes that come with it so notice how i just created that out of thin air because squid is a really difficult word but the idea is obviously the first thing i want to say is don't compare yourself to me i literally am forced to practice this every time i'm on the podcast <laughs> is it weird that i got slightly aroused from that whole thing I mean... <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> I, I, it was weird because I, I, I immediately got engrossed in what you were saying. Right. Right. I was like, oh, I immediately just, it was, it went from us talking to bam, I was immediately sucked into the story. Yeah. And it takes practice to get there. But basically, what I'm saying to people is all I'm asking for is five minutes of your time. Pick mm. five words every day, one minute each. Do that every day. You do it for a year, you'll have done the exercise 1,800 times. We're talking light, wife who's arguing with me, teapot, door, tree. That's it. And if you're in a public setting all day, you don't even need to do the exercise. Just look at the building and just go, you know, if I was doing this exercise, what would I say? And over time, if you do this five times a day, you'll be exceptional. Because if you could present something like squid, Imagine when you go back to the game that you spend months or even years developing. That's your child, where it'll be a lot easier for you to explain that versus squid, right? Right. That's awesome. We should do that on the um, the coffee tea room, yeah, on the Discord server, because that that it's a really cool exercise. Not only from the speaking aspect of it, but having to come up with stuff on the fly, because when you're in these meetings, it's not like it's completely scripted every single time. You know, you're going to have questions that come from one company or you know, something from another one 
that and they're going to ask you questions to throw you off too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I actually have specific advice for that as well. This is what I call the question drill. So always do the harder thing, folks. If you're scared of being asked questions, get people you hate. People who are much worse than the publishers and have them ask you hundreds of questions on your presentation. Once again, first podcast I'm on, I suck, right? Why are strangers asking me questions? Why are they asking me this question? I don't know the answer. But after you're on like 100 in shows, what question that you can't answer? Like you know everything about your topic at some point. And that is the key. If you have people that you don't like who ask you really, really difficult questions, when you get into the publisher, what's the publisher going to say that you don't already know? Your friends that you hate already smashed you to the wall. So it's going to be much easier in that way. That's funny. I can absolutely do that. I can totally rip people apart with random questions about their game. That's one thing I am well suited for after 20 years of doing this. Um, so what about the what about that aspect of that meeting and the presentation where you're trying, I'm not suggesting that you do this, but we see it a lot of times developers are trying to guess what the publisher wants and then bend it, bend their talk or been their presentation in that direction. How do you combat that? I mean, how do you stick to your guns and, and do the presentation and, and present the game that you want to without trying to second guess and estimate and adjust too much on the fly? That's an interesting question. I think the way that I'd see it's it's both are correct. So you need to balance both perspectives. So let's explain how to do that. Right. So you have a publisher that has a certain expectation, that wants a certain game, and then you have you, the creator, who has spent blood, sweat, and tears mastering this, what you believe is the game that people will love. And your goal as a presenter is to balance both of those two paradigms. So how do you do that? One, I would argue, is look at all of the publishers who are looking for indie games and figure out which publisher is the most open-minded by ranked order based on what you've seen in their industry. So if you think about me, you've probably all noticed by now that I'm pretty young, but I also coach C-level executives. So not every C-level executive is going to look at someone in their 20s and go, you know, this guy is the coach for me. Right? No, not many people are going to do that. So instead of me running after people who don't want to be coached by me, I just say, who's interested? Who has more chance? Who has more likelihood of doing that? You want to do the same thing with the publisher. So when you pick the right publishers to pitch to first, you won't have to customize your talk as much because you have the same value system as the publisher. So it's going to be much easier for you to tailor it in a way that makes sense for the publisher and you. So it's always important, regardless of the circumstance, that you're understanding what the publisher wants, what they need from you. But by picking the right publisher, you don't have to customize it as well as much. So we actually have a question in chat here. I'm going to ask uh, from John S. Eng Engesser from LinkedIn. Is presenting a pitch with another person a good idea? Absolutely. You, you, I'd even argue to hundreds of people if you can. Like my, even today, my friends still laugh at my videos, despite, you know, the feedback, the positive feedback I get. So I think it's always important to get a second or third opinion or a 20th opinion. I think you mean presenting with somebody else with you. Yeah. Oh, you mean with another person? Sorry, I thought you meant like practicing to. Oh, yeah. So in that case, it depends. It depends, John. So in the sense of, I normally like to present alone, especially if it's a short presentation. Like if you're in those meetings for 25, 30 minutes, 
you want to be presenting alone because you have control over every second of your presentation. But I will add, because these meetings are a bit more informal, it's not like this formal presentation when you're presenting to all the people in suits. I would bring a team, not necessarily for the presentation, but for the questions and answers. So if there's something you don't know, you have a team that backs you up with the right questions in case you don't know the answer. That would be my recommendation. We actually see that with a lot of uh, tech and tool companies. They'll have a basically two biz dev people in the meetings. One is the normal, the, the marketing fo focused outreach developer BD person. The other one is the technical BD person. And that's exactly what they're there for. The marketing more general BD person is the one that's giving you know the pitch. But then when it comes time for the Q&A, that's where the, the technical person comes in. We actually do that with our clients as well, because God knows you don't want to be asking me technical questions about the games and the tools that we our clients have but i can do the rest of it and then when the questions come through they flow through to the to the tech person so that's that's fantastic advice that also actually leads to the next question here we got from nightwolf uh, uh how do you answer questions that you initially did not have an answer for nor the information on hand to answer might take time to answer but you must not take a long time to pause Right. So, so the easy way to fix this night wolf, in my opinion, is you want to bulletproof your presentation before the actual presentation. And obviously there's going to be, so what does that mean? Let's start with that. So that means get a bunch of people to ask you a hundred, 150 questions, literally, so that you're prepared for anything. And then on the off chance, they ask you a question you really didn't think of. I would just be upfront and honest with them, especially if you're building a relationship with them as an indie developer and just say, I don't happen to have that answer offhand. But I would love to come back to you with an answer if you just give me a couple of hours to come back with my team. Just be super honest. I think that's always a great way of going about it. And if you're only going to interact with them once, then it depends how much value you can give in the moment. So if you can half answer the question, answer as much as you can and add as much detail as you can. But if you really can't, I would just say I don't know. Are you looking for a publisher for your game? Well, we have something special just for you. It's the most comprehensive listing of PC, console, and mobile publishers in the industry. Over 700 companies sorted by platform with links to their websites. You can get the list at www.powellgroupconsulting.com slash publisher dash list. And you can get it for free. Check it out. All right, let's see. He's got a, a leading question or a question after that, too. What do you do if the publisher asks questions that completely invalidates them and you can validates them and you from working together where you know that it will not work out due to conflict of interest, tone or unfair arrangements just from the questions asked? There's still a chance of it working out, but it's low. Sounds like you have a specific thing going on, Mr. Nightwolf. <laughs> So uh, I would love your two's perspective, but I don't think the answer is public speaking related here. I think at the end of the day, the interview is a two-way street, right? It's not just about you selling the game. It's about you giving up your child to this publisher, right? So if, if at the end of the day, this person is just trying to tear you apart and not actually like have a meaningful conversation with you, and you really believe in your game, which I'm sure you do, move on to the next publisher. There's so many people 
right, that I could do business with that I don't do business with because I don't want to spend my time like talking to them and coaching them, right? <laughs> so I think the versus you two that I love, I like, I love this conversation, right? Everyone's trying to add value. We're all trying to help people in this industry. This is great. This is a great use of my time. But people are like, you know, really close-minded, make fun of my videos and go, you don't know anything. You're so, I'm not going to waste time talking to them. I got better things to do. So I think the idea is focus on the publisher who is cares about you, but be sure you're ready also. So at, at Nightwolf, a lot of that too comes down to you doing your homework before the event and making sure that you're only meeting with publishers who, you know, are a good fit. Now, having said that, in 20 years, I have come upon this multiple times myself. One of the best ones was a German publisher and literally like five minutes into the talk, you know, into the conversation, he said, well, these aren't the types of games we're looking for. Thank you for your meeting. Let's go and do other things. And I'm like, at first you're like, well, dude, that's rude. We just sat down. And then I was like, wait a minute, that just saved both of us a shitload of time because now we can go do other things and we don't have to worry about it. The other way that you can look at it is if you're invested in that meeting already, go ahead, finish the meeting for practice sakes. Whether, I mean, it may be completely and painfully obvious that, that you're not going to work together, but it doesn't mean you can't still practice your pitch in, in the process of it. So, yeah. Okay, another one. Where we have it? Mr. Day and Paul, what do you do? If the public publisher asks for KPIs, but you don't have enough ad spend to get accurate ones. I think that's more of a J question, right? So we actually had this happen with a client three weeks ago. So I'm, I'm really good on this. One, if you don't have KPIs, just tell them you don't have KPIs. That's just, that's not unreasonable. It's not, you know, out of the blue because you, obviously you need a publisher to go and get the user acquisition to get the KPIs. But I'll say this. So we've got a client who spent enough money on Facebook to get like less than a thousand installs. But that was enough to give them baseline KPIs, which were actually really, really good to get a publisher interested in doing a longer test case with them and sitting down and building a 30 day plan around their, their game. So on one hand, if they don't, if you don't have KPIs, just tell them. You don't have KPIs. There are some publishers that aren't going to want to talk to you anymore because they only look for games that have been launched in some sort of fashion that's going to have initial KPI numbers. They're going to realize and assume they're not going to be great numbers simply because you, know, you don't have the resources they do. The other side of it is spend a couple hundred bucks on Facebook, get some baseline analytics, and that's enough to get you in the door at a lot of places. I love All right. It. So one of the questions here is how, how can we present better online? And I know we've talked about it a, a little bit, but like you said, there is a big difference between looking out at a crowd and seeing if they're engaged or, you know, going like we are right now. We don't really know who's watching or not. I know Indy told me when I first started doing this, don't ever look at the user viewer numbers. It's like, just assume you're talking to hundreds of people. And that's actually some of the best advice I've had. But I mean, in general, you know, for folks who aren't used to public speaking and aren't used to doing podcasts and, and streaming and things like that, 
what are some of the other pieces of advice that you've got for you know, getting out there and, and making a good presence online? Yeah, I can give some super easy tips that I that I recommend myself that I implement. Because when I started on YouTube, I sucked to be honest. Like, I, and that's coming from a guy who was who had five hundred presentation under his belt when he started. Because I was alone in my basement, there was nobody to talk to. I didn't know how to run lights. I didn't know how to move the camera or something like that. So I had to figure it out as I go as well. But one easy thing that I helped me a lot with online is I posted a video every day. So what I did essentially is I went on my Instagram. And I post like a 15 second clip. So I just turn it on and go, hey, my name's Brendan. This is a thought that I have today. Turn it off. But I did that every day. So basically what I'm saying, uh, Jay, is practice definitely makes perfect in the sense that progression in what you're doing leads to obsession. So after I'd presented on camera for 500 times in a year, I got a lot better in the online space. So depending on whether the online presentation is a Twitch stream, you want two to you want to have like one thing for Twitch streams particularly. We'll kind of go through all of them. Is you want to have a note, like a small note, sticky note that kind of outlines what you want to talk about in case you lose your train of thought. So let's say, hey guys, today I want to talk about public speaking. Here are some of the questions that I have. And with that outline, if you ever lose your train of thought, you can always go back to it and say, oh, let me look at the outline. Let me make sure I don't lose my train of thought. For video, you always want to script in advance, especially if you're doing like a one-time recorded because people don't have access to you. So that way, as you get better, your scripts get better, the way that you structure your thoughts get better, and then you get better. And then obviously with keynotes, if you're just presenting, you could just use the presentation that you used in person and bring it back online. But the beauty of public speaking that I want to point out here is it doesn't matter which of the three I mentioned you work on because by working on one of those areas, you're working on all three at the same time. The key is just to figure out where is your ROI, where are you getting the most bang for your buck, which is probably going to be the keynote presentation, and then you'll watch all of your skills and all areas of communication increase. I never thought about that, but that is like absolutely one of the big advantages that speaking online or in a stream has over public speaking. When we go public speaking and we're standing up there on a stage, unless you happen to have a lecture in front of you, you don't have anywhere to keep those sticky notes. And that's an absolutely key difference. I, mean, I cheat when I'm giving presentations in person, the PowerPoint that I use isn't stacked with data and, and screenshots and stuff. It's literally an outline of what I'm supposed to be talking about. I just kind of phrase it to look like it's something different. But that's, that's how I do it because I'm used to having like note cards or sticky notes or something in front of me. So being able to do that, it's one thing for the folks that just occurred to me, you know, when Brenda's talking about doing a quick video a day, Instagram and TikTok are absolutely perfect for that. You know, not only are you building content that you can use to market your game, but if you go on there and do a quick video every day, then you're going to get more publicity for your game and you're going to get better at public speaking. Uh, all right, so Nightwolf, how do you recover from technical difficulties? Webcam failure, mic mute, Windows update. <laughs> Damn, man, I used to have a Windows PC for conferences, and I swear to God, that thing I always wanted to update five minutes before I went on stage. Uh, forced restarts, internet loss, all this other stuff. I, I'm not even going to run through all of it, Nightwolf, but how do you recover from that, you know, with your life? Absolutely. So the way that I see it is simple. Whatever you feel as a speaker, your audience will reciprocate. 
if everything dumps, everything goes to zero, something bad happens, but you don't seem too phased about it, your audience will go, oh, I guess it's not a big deal. But if, on the other hand, you look really stressed. Oh, no, is my hair okay? I wonder what Jay thinks about me and my presentation right now. And Indy, I can't even see him, so I'm scared of what he thinks of me. How is he reacting? Then the audience <laughs> is going to feel the same anxiety. Hey, why is Brendan stressed? I guess I should start pitying him. You are the mirror of the emotions that you want to project onto everyone else around you. So it is up to you to choose the right emotions. So the advice I have is simple. Fall in love with disaster. Right? As you get better as a speaker, there's. There, I'll give you a quick story to kind of demonstrate this. I, the most important keynote I gave in my life in front of 500 people, 15 minutes before the keynote that I spent months preparing for, the director comes up to me and goes, oh, I totally forgot to mention, Brendan, half of the audience only speaks French. Can you do your keynote in both languages at the same time? You figure it out. That's the key. Do and also, like, like, like if, if, yeah, <laughs> you figure it out in 15 minutes. Also, it's like if you, uh, I mean, to, to like if I, I mute my mic, I just go, oh, my mic's muted. And then to go, you just, if you want to point it out, point it out, and but then move on. Don't like make it a big focus, right? Or you can just ignore it. Or if something's not working, you don't have to go, oh, well, the more you point shit out, the more it reflects on what you are. So if you say, oh, I mess this up all the time, then that's what everyone's going to think is, oh, you mess this up all the time. But if you just, because if you don't say anything or acknowledge it, it just goes away and then nobody ever thinks about it again. It, one of my, the, the, I always want to stop people when they do this. If I'm watching something or I'm, I'm in a meeting, Developers never apologize for your demo or for whatever. It immediately, when you do that, if I'm wearing my publisher hat, it immediately makes me start thinking that, okay, something's wrong with this. Yeah. You know, there's a problem. Because, and, and that's what I thought of. You're, you're, you're mirroring you know, those things. If you're stressed about it and you're nervous about it and you're insecure about it, don't let that's anybody just know. Gonna, yeah, it's going <laughs> to show 10 times. Shine a spotlight on it. So here's something that you know gets me to this day. Even though I've done, I haven't done as many talks as you have, but I've done a lot of talks. How do you get over those butterflies right before you go on stage? You know, because I still, once I get going, I'm fine. But it's like that half hour, hour before a big talk that I'm like completely stressed. So how do you how do you get past that? Because it's obviously not repetition. Because I've been doing this for twenty some years. It's not, it's not repetition, and it and it's a question I get a lot, to be honest. Like in the sense of like, you know, whether I'm speaking to people in New Zealand, Japan, you know, states, wherever, they all seem to be scared of public speaking. They don't really understand why. So let me add some light and shed some light there. Let's answer the following question for ourselves: Where do we give, or where have we given? the vast majority of our presentation because that's where the answer lies right to this question and the answer for most of us is school whether you're high school college university doesn't really matter that's where you learn how to speak because we don't wake up one morning and say hey jay indy let's like get breakfast and present all day it doesn't happen right we're in high school teacher gives us a presentation and three things happen one 
We never get to pick the topic. It's generally something we're not passionate about. Two, students don't care to listen to us, not because they don't care about us, but because they're worried about their own presentation. They're not thinking about what you're saying. They're thinking about what they're going to say five minutes after you go. Three, teachers are very well educated, very competent, and also very stressed. 40 students to go through in two classes. They don't have time to coach you and sit you down for 10 minutes. So let's recap. You never get to pick the topic, never something you're passionate about. Two, you listen to students who don't care. And three, teachers are too stressed to coach you. But this behavior gets perpetuated in everything. Arts, maths, sciences, English, French, anything that we do, we learn over and over and over again that public speaking is a chore. It's a responsibility. It's an obligation. If we're at school, it's tied to a grade. If we're at work, it's tied to a result. And if we fail at any part of that journey, we get punished for it. Whether it's a lower grade at work, at school, I mean, or whether it's that promotion that slips us by at work. And that's the takeaway. The issue with the fear of public speaking is that it doesn't exist. The fear isn't real. What is real is the system we grew up learning public speaking in the wrong way. I'll give you a contrast example. Julia's 16 years old. She loves theory. She loves public speaking. A lot of people say, oh, yeah, it's because she's extroverted. Not true. The reason why Julia is a great speaker is because her perception of public speaking is different. She sees public speaking as a way to make an impact, as a way to entertain people, as a way to teach a lesson. What do you mean, Brendan? Public speaking is great. I get to like make a difference for people, and that's the point. When we change our perception of what public speaking is supposed to be for, like this very conversation, the fear that we have of public speaking goes down dramatically. Well, here's something for me, right? I, I've been doing this for a while. I'm not scared of it. I mean, I was a little nervous when I first started, right? So I did my first and last like talk, public talk, and I freaking, I was like, oh, I'm going to breeze through this. No freaking problem. It's going to be nothing. So it comes up to the time and okay, I feel a little nervous. And then I get on stage and blam, I'm just like, uh, and then I start sweating the whole freaking time. I'm just, I feel like I'm just losing it. I am not in control and I fucking hated it. How, how can I, how can I prevent that? <laughs> Why do I, why do, why am I okay with this, but not okay with standing in front of people on a stage with everyone looking at me talking? Right. So, my personal opinion on this, Indy, is I want you to really think back to the first presentations you gave and if those presentations were similar. So, when you're in high school, college, university, where's most of the presentations you gave, how did you perceive public speaking and how is that different? And you'll probably realize that you didn't have that much fun speaking when you were young, too. And those are the habits that you learn today. That's why whenever in front of a stage, most people I talk to, a lot of the clients I coach, they get reminded of those early days and go, oh my God, my my audience thinks I'm, you know, that I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm scared to talk to them in person. I start to freak out. So the way that we reverse engineer this is by what I call the repeatable presentation. So that presentation that you're talking about, the only way to reduce the fear is to present it 100 times. It's to present it 50 times. It's to present it 20 times. Because if you do it so many times that it becomes clockwork, you're going to be much more confident as a speaker. So if you think about me, I started presenting to 50, 60-year-old executives when I was like 20, 21. So you can imagine the first couple of times or the first dozens of times, to be honest, I was just freaking out. I was like, why is the CEO listening to me? This is crazy. 
But then over time, when I presented 50, 100 times, I was like, no, I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm doing in the subject matter. I have that expertise and I'm here to share ideas with people. And that's really the only way to master the fear is to focus on one talk. The biggest mistake people do is they focus on 15 different presentations. That's like playing piano and trying 15 different songs at the same time. You're not going to go anywhere. But if you focus on one talk and executing that talk perfectly, which is what all the best speakers in the world do, then you'll be a master. Well, well, mine definitely wasn't a uh, talk. I, I was just like, oh, I'll do it how I stream. I'm just going to effing wing it. Oh, well, so I go. went up there. There you go. And, <laughs> and it was, I mean, I guess it was fine, but man, it was it was so rough. I can wing it, no problem streaming. And, and even if I know that there's 10,000 people watching, right? I, I'm fine. Chats are going, that's okay. But standing on the stage in front of 30 people, man, it was just, it was rough. And and it, it was rough. It, I was sweating, and so I'm like, "Oh my god, <laughs> I'm a fat guy at a bus stop in the sun." <laughs> you know, oh man. The um, the first professional speech I gave, I think, was at GDC, and I was 22, 23, and I had the same reaction. For it. I looked out there in the audience, and there were. 40, 50, 60 year old people out there listening to me about how to negotiate a publisher contract. And I'm like, <laughs> why the fuck are they here? Do this? The reality is it, it takes a bit of, of arrogance for lack of a better word. You have to believe that you know your shit, even if you may not, you know, you still have to believe it. And it, it comes across easier, but that first time you get up on there on that stage, you know, I've been doing drama and plays and speaking you know, since I was like 12, but it is that bright light hits you. And I'm with you and you and I are both bigger guys. I start sweating. So I always have like, you know, some water to cool off like core body temperature to stop. And then, you know, something else. But when you stand up there and all of a sudden everybody's focus is on you, it, it can be a little overwhelming at first. You just kind of have to, and it's hard to say, like, how do you relax? How do you, you know, my next talk, I think I'm just going to take a big old thing of water and just dump it over my head and be like, ah, and just pretend that you're, you know, uh -huh. not, not live. And you're What's up everybody. This is Indy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's fine. Oh, all right. We got another one here. For Indy and Brendan, do you restart or skip a session for YouTube videos or Twitch streaming if the stream fails? Video editor render fails. Video feed is black screen post record stream or file gets corrupted. For 12 hours up to two days in total time spent for stream, record to render, including repeats and file corruption. So basically, do you start for a stream? I don't. I just keep going. Screw Same. it. Same. Same. I do it too. Um, for videos, I was I was recording a commercial the other day, and I restarted it like ten times. But wow. then I, I just like I try and do everything all at once. You know, I try not to when I record stuff, not to edit stuff together. I just want to do it all at once. Of course, there is editing. But what about for your YouTube videos? Yeah, so so there's definitely differences between streams and. Um... And videos. So for stream, like you said, I, I do the same thing. I just go with the flow. Like in this conversation, we're not really editing anything. It's just live. But I would say in this, in uh, the case of videos, 
uh, what the beauty of videos is that you have an unlimited amount of attempts, right? So what I do with my video guy is each video that we do, I probably try the same video three to five times. So I go, hi everyone, I'm Manny's brand from MasterTalk. Hi, and I just keep going a couple of times until until we get it right. But the beauty of this process is once you get it right, you never have to make the video again. You could just keep sharing it forever. So I think um, I think you definitely want to edit a lot more. You want to think about your video a lot more. You want to script your video if it's on if it's a video, not a stream. So that way your thoughts are a lot better structured. That's good stuff. Anything else, Nightwolf? I know you got some questions. We're going to have to start timing, Nightwolf, to how far into the presentation we get before he starts asking the good questions. Yeah, because the good questions come. <laughs> so I'm trying to think about the other you know, big hiccups that, that I've had or that I see in you know, either streams or, or pitches or things like that. But I think you hit on the majority of it right there. I mean, it's practicing it before the event you know don't do like indy and wing it you know mm -hmm. i admittedly wing it a lot of times i can sometimes hide that i'm doing it but a lot of times i can't um so get your practice in you know get like we talk about it in the webinars and things like that get your pitch deck down to showing you know the right stuff and so you're not going off too far on tangents you know what else comes to mind, right? I mean, are there any other good things that you've thought of? Yeah, for sure. I, I think the idea is to practice in the right way. So let's say the issue with people is, let's say they go to a conference, they practice, let's say, five, ten times on a presentation. And then what they do is they dump that slide, and then they go to the next one. That's why I highly recommend for everyone to find their repeatable presentation. So what is that? It's a presentation that solves a problem for everyone else in a way that you can do it over and over again. So I give an example. So let's say we use Jay as an example. We made this a coaching workshop. I would say to make a presentation on how to pitch to indie, to publishers. So I'll make a presentation on that. But with the beauty of that presentation is it's the same presentation every time. So when there's new people, new indie devs who enter you know, the Discord channel every month, every two months, you can present that same presentation over again. So that over the next five, 10 years, if you present it enough times, you'll have presented that one presentation hundreds of times and it'll stay timeless. And that's what how you want to practice public speaking, not by practicing in general, you won't get anywhere, but practicing in the right way. So that when it's your 50th time presenting that same publisher presentation, you've gotten feedback from 50 different people. The 50th time you present it is going to be so much better than the first time you presented that same slide deck. And if you're someone who can't, who doesn't have that, I think for most people, the presentation, it's simple. It's your very game. You, most people I know in the, in the dev space in gaming spend years developing one game, spend multiple months developing one singular game. So just keep making a presentation on that, keep making it better until you move on to the next game. Mm -hmm. uh, it's funny because we actually do that. Oh. <laughs> We have a presentation that we do every month uh, on how to find a publisher. It's right there. Uh, and I do it live every month. I just did one this week. So, I mean, I completely agree. One thing that I always preach on the BD side is don't get in the habit of having to recreate the wheel every time you do something. Create content 
that you can reuse, whether that's a clip of the game playing, if that's your deck, your USP, your things like that. And then when you go and do it, then it does. It becomes almost like muscle memory in the back of your head. Uh, but yeah, for, if anyone's interested, we do a presentation every month on you know how to find a publisher. So at least I know I'm doing something right there. Uh, and I had another question, and now it has completely escaped my brain. Um, but yeah, so anyway. No worries. But the second part of what you said, so for you, the next step would be get a bunch of people you hate, people you don't like, to come join one of those presentations and have them drill you on every little detail that you're doing wrong in that publisher presentation. Oh, Jay, the way that you pause here, I think is wrong. Oh, Jay, the way that you do this is wrong. Is that over time, that's how you really get that exponential growth curve on the, the presentation that you're working on. Because one component of that is for sure practicing every month. But the other component of that is getting a bunch of people that are not afraid to just tell you straight, like, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is bad, this is bad. And even as a professional, I still do that to this day. You need that person to tell you that this is shit. Yeah, absolutely. Right? You don't absolutely. need someone blowing smoke up your butt all the time going, oh, that's great, that's great, that's great. You need someone to tell you that what's crap. Not. not to, you know, demo their game to their friends and family because your friends and family lie. You know, that's mm -hmm. the bottom line. They will tell you, oh, this is great. I love what you've done here, sweetie. <laughs> so the... Last question I have is how do you get over hating to hear yourself talk? Because that's honestly the reason I don't go back and listen to a whole nope. lot of our streams. I can't stand listening to myself talk. Uh, you never get over it, to be honest. Uh, yeah. The only the only way to get over it is to is to keep doing it. Like when I was nineteen, twenty, and I started practicing, you know, speaking and all that stuff. It was horrifying to watch my own recording. I call this a twenty-minute test. If you can go 20 minutes watching yourself talk without vomiting, you're probably an exceptional presenter. It's just most people don't make it to 20 minutes. They probably start vomiting at like 30 Three. seconds. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but over, just to give you guys an idea, when I started speaking, I was in a $100 Sears suit that I got from prom that was oversized. Like I had a tie that literally went all the way down to, you know what, like it didn't stay at the belt, right? Like I didn't know what I was doing. Like I was, that's how lost I was. And I was presenting to CEOs. Right, and that's the key. It's like the best basketball players in the world, say, or gamers. Right, you have to always watch your own tapes, always watch your own recordings. If you want to go pro in any game, you have to be willing to watch yourself play. You have to be willing to watch yourself speak. And over time, what happens is you start to listen to your own voice, and you start, and the voice starts to change over time because you start to get a good ear for it. So when I started speaking, I used to be very aggressive. So I would demand for your attention. I wouldn't ask for it. But then over time, when I saw myself speak, I was like, man, this dude's really aggressive. I started <laughs> changing the tone. So now it's really easy to hear myself talk because I've done it for five years and I always watch my stuff over and over again. But that takes time. That's really uh, Here, we got another question from Mr. Nightwolf. If you do not know enough people, at least in person, would going to Reddit Work for critics and getting presentation grilled. If you want to get grilled on anything, that's true. If you want to, if you want to get shit on for anything that you ever say, do, or anything, go to Reddit. That's I but, freaking hate Reddit. Uh, but there, there's a difference, though. I mean, there's a difference between getting like 
good critical feedback and getting people just telling you that you suck and you need to go kill yourself. I mean, there's a whole, there's a big spectrum in there. Nightwolf, if you want to do it, and I'll put anybody else out there on the Discord, you know, on a Friday or a Monday, especially like mornings when I'm just sitting here drinking my coffee anyway. Beer. We'll go to the live section on the Discord and you can give me your pitch and I can tell you, you know, what I think. I'm always happy to do that. That applies to me too, by the way. Like for me, I think the idea is just if you don't know anyone enough people in person, there's always a way to invent the wheel. It's just about being creative. Record it. Like I can't meet my friends right now in person. So I record my keynote with my little camera or my phone. You don't have to complicate things. And you just send it to them. It takes 10 minutes. It's not complicated. And then you just go give me some really harsh feedback. And then over time, you'll start to gain a body of friends who aren't afraid to tell you the truth. And then from that, then you can meet them in person later on. Mm. Sorry, I'm just updating Brendan because I forgot he was actually on the Discord, but he is. And so I'm... Uh... Updating on Discord. Well, um, let's talk about a couple of other things. Let's talk about our extra life, right? Oh, yeah. Extra life right here. Uh, extra. Well, the link's in the thing. It's extra-life.org slash team slash indie game business. We're raising money for kids. So there's two raise things. The money, raise money for kids. You can either donate or you can join the team. And you know, we can do it that way. But I'm actually going to be, I think I'm going to do like a gaming slash AMA session all day long on a, on the on the extra life day. Yeah, you're going to do that? Well, I mean, my, all day my, long, you're going to stream it? Focus. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to stream it. It'll be fun. It'll be good. Um, and Brendan, dude, this is awesome. This is, it's one of those things, like I said, you can never stop learning. And even when you've been doing this for a very long time, like I have, and it's, you know, I think in the back of my head, it's like, oh, yeah, 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 I can do this. I got this handle. There's a lot of stuff that I don't have handled apparently. And, uh, <laughs> it's gonna, it needs to be worked on. So, so here's your homework, Jay, to watch all of, all of the master, the masterclass videos. Our master talk videos, all I of them. In and amongst, you know, everything else that, that I have going on, I can put them on one screen and and try to do something <laughs> on the other. It is though. I mean, this is the reason I wanted you to come on the show is because this is important, especially in this day and age when we've got so many developers that are out there and they're pitching, you know, via podcast or video stream to publishers every week, they are, they have to get a little better at it. And, you know, having resources like your website, I mean, like the YouTube page is, is fantastic. So I greatly appreciate that. Man. Of course, my pleasure. Do you um, also have a podcast? See, I just ummed it right there. Do you have a podcast as well? No, it's it's mostly the the YouTube channel, Master Talk in One Word. But if people want to reach out to me, it's uh, Instagram. Instagram's always good, so that's I'm at Master Your Talk there. So you can send me questions, concerns, complaints, insults, open to anything. I send all the complaints to Andy. I only want good feedback. I just ignore them. I put them right into my trash. I go, thanks for the feedback. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll totally get to work on that. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, dude, thanks for thanks for coming on. Of course, my yeah, thanks so much. We appreciate it. And, uh, yeah. Make sure and join the Discord, everybody. Discord.gg slash Indie Business. We are popping over there. How many people we got in there right now, Jay? Uh, well, we uh, had 16 
Yeah, no, really. I had to think about that. We had 1,600, but we just did a merger with the Pitch Your Game folks. And so now our Discord is the official home for the Pitch Your Game events that are be happening monthly. So I haven't yes. looked to see um, what we're at right now. But a lot of folks, that's the that's the bottom line. A lot of folks, that's awesome. All right, thanks so much, and thanks, Brendan. We'll see you guys next Friday. Oh, wait, next Friday it will just be Jay. Yeah, it was great. is it Jay and and Anya? Anya. Yeah, Anya, Anya Collins, uh, director of games outreach from Kickstarter. Kickstarter, yeah, that'll be wow. awesome. And and I'll be uh, going to the Grand Canyon, which Don't will be awesome. Yeah. yeah, I got to see the Grand Canyon. Peace. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.